2: Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. There are
1: fairies at the bottom of our garden. It's not so very, very far away. You pass the gardener's shed and you just keep straight ahead. I do so hope they've really come to stay. Those lines begin the poem, There Are Fairies at the Bottom of Our Garden written by Rose Fileman and published in 1917. It turns out fairies were having a big year that year. That summer, two young girls, Elsie Wright and Frances Griffiths, were playing near their home in Cottingley near Bradford in West Yorkshire, England, when they discovered fairies in their garden. And they convinced many among us, including the famous Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, that fairies were real with a series of photos they took with the thought-to-be-mythical creatures. It took decades before they disclosed it was all a hoax. Welcome to Criminalia, I'm Maria Tramarki,
2: and I'm Holly Fry. Let’s set the scene. Nine-year-old Frances Griffiths and her mother Annie were staying with the Wright family, Polly and Arthur Wright, and their 16-year-old daughter Elsie, in the village of Cottingley. And it’s there where Frances saw her first fairy. These two families were related. Francis and Elsie were cousins, and they were living together while Francis's father served in the First World War. Near the home was a small wooded valley through which Cottingley Beck flowed. A Beck, in case you did not know, is a stream or a brook, usually with a stony bed, and this one followed along the foot of their yard. The cousins often played in that nearby little mini valley and claimed that they had seen fairies around the Beck almost daily when they were there. Their parents assumed this was all tall tales, but the girls insisted. One day in July of 1917, Elsie
1: borrowed her father's camera and took photos of Francis and what the girls called the Beck fairies. Elsie's father, Arthur, an amateur photographer with his own darkroom, Developed their photos later that day, and he discovered the prints revealed strange, unidentified white shapes. He described them as looking like, quote, sandwich papers or maybe some sort of birds, but his daughter insisted they had photographed fairies. About a month later, Francis photographed Elsie with what the girls claimed was a gnome. Arthur questioned the girls about what exactly they were doing down by the stream. But they stuck to their story. They took photos of what they saw at the stream, they said, and they saw fairies. Arthur shrugged it off his kids' imaginations.
2: Elsie's mother, Polly, wasn't as sure as her husband that the girls were lying, and she asked Arthur to search the area around the beck. Surely, he would either see fairies himself if the girls' claims were real, or he would be able to determine that this was all imaginative play. Arthur did investigate, and he found nothing of value or importance. He did not see any fairies. The Wrights did wonder if the photos may have some novelty value, and Arthur produced a few prints to show to family and a few neighbors. In 1919, Polly took prints to a lecture about fairies at a local meeting of the Theosophical Society in Bradford. The Theosophical Society is a movement interested in world religions and philosophies, and it encourages excitement about the impossible. The photos made it to the attention of one of the society's leading members, Edward Gardner. That same year,
1: Scottish author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle became aware of the photos while he was researching an article about fairies and fairy life, work he hoped would enhance his case for his long-standing interest in spiritualism. Some recollections of how he came to hear about the fairies suggest he may have received a letter from English journalist, spiritualist, and friend Felicia Scatcherd, informing him of some potentially interesting photographs which might be proof of the existence of fairies in Yorkshire. Whichever path the photos took to get to his attention, he was intrigued. Doyle asked his friend and prominent spiritualist, the very same Edward Gardner we just mentioned, if he could find out what was going on in the Yorkshire village of Cottingley. In no time, Gardner was in the company of Elsie and Francis and looking at a few photos, each showing very small female figures with transparent wings. The girls claimed they'd first seen the fairies on an earlier occasion and had gone back to the stream with a camera to photograph them as proof. Gardner was taken in and declared them genuine and obtained prints
2: for Doyle to view. So let's back this up a little minute. Yes, this is the very same Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote 60 stories about the character Sherlock Holmes, nearly 200 novels, short stories, poems, historical books, and pamphlets. He was, in case you did not know, also a physician. And he was also really interested in, and a proponent of, spiritualism. In the mid-1880s, he began studying psychic phenomena, and in 1916 announced that he had converted to spiritualism. The movement was popular in the late 19th century and early 20th century, and it was based on a belief that departed souls can interact with the living. Through this lens, Doyle interpreted the fairy photos as visible evidence of psychic phenomena. Though the movement was trendy at the time, his beliefs earned him a lot of criticism from friends and peers. In fact, after the fairy photos incident, Some people even whispered that he might be losing his cognitive faculties as he aged. Word about the fairies started to get out.
1: Both Gardner and Doyle gave lectures on the photographs. Copies of them were made and passed around at those lectures, as well as at Theosophical Society meetings and other conferences. They were well-received, but there were also detractors. British physicist and writer Sir Oliver Lodge, for instance, immediately denounced them as fakes upon seeing them. Doyle himself was a little skeptical because he wasn't sure the creatures in the prints were actual fairies. Maybe, he considered, the girls were gifted mediums, and he asked Gardner to return to Cottingley to investigate the beck itself. There was, though, nothing remarkable, and Gardner did not see any fairies. Now, as a side note, if you're like us and you wondered why he couldn't make that trip himself, Doyle was touring Australia lecturing about spiritualism.
2: We're going to take a break here for a word from our sponsors. And when we're back, we'll talk about what happened when the Cottingley fairy photos were published in The Strand magazine. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafecom criminalia. That's simplysafe, S I M P L I S A F E, dot slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day to day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really, like, go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie, and it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Welcome back to Criminalia. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle may have been convinced, but not everyone else was. Let's begin with what the newspapers had to say about the Cottingley Fairies.
2: There were skeptics, and that included the press. Newspaper reporters and editors were not open to the possibility that two young girls had photographed fairies. The City News, for instance, stated that, quote, it seems at this point that we must believe either in the almost incredible mystery of the fairy or in the almost incredible wonders of faked photographs. Doyle carried on and remained intrigued, yet there was something about the photographs that he couldn't quite put his finger on. Just kept bothering him. He asked for the opinion of experts from the Eastman Kodak Company. Their efforts were futile, though, as he moved ahead as if the photos were genuine without waiting for them to give him their final report. And then Doyle officially
1: gave credence to the hoax when he published the now famous Cottingley Fairies photos, accompanying an article he penned about the fairies in the Christmas 1920 issue of the Strand magazine. To him, and to Gardner as well, the photos were a sign of hope, and Doyle wrote, quote, Maybe it is an indication that we are reaching the silver lining of the clouds when we find ourselves suddenly presented with actual photographs of these enchanting little creatures, relegated long since to the realm of the imaginary and the fanciful. To protect the girl's anonymity when published, the photographs were captioned with the names Alice and Iris. It didn't take long before the magazine and Doyle both were deluged with photographic evidence from others who had claimed to have seen fairies. Doyle looked at every single photo submission, but determined the only genuine fairy photos were from the Cottingley Beck. Time magazine reported that fairy fever had gripped the nation. This was a time when the general public was weary from the First World War and seemed to want to believe fairies might be improbable yet not impossible.
2: Following its publication in Britain, the article and its photos went on to be published in Australia and in the United States. The images now seen around the world sparked some impassioned debate. Novelist Henry Devere Vere Stackpool, who insisted the photographs were real because they seemed to be so, stated, quote, Look at Francis's face. Look at Elsie's face. There is an extraordinary thing called truth, which has 10 million faces and forms. It is God's currency, and the cleverest coiner or forger can't imitate it. So to him, the girls were telling the truth just because they looked like they were telling the truth. Skeptics, though, including Elsie's father, noted a few questionable things in the photos, including that the fairies looked they looked like bits of paper. There were other questions, like, why doesn't the fairy in the second photo have wings when the other fairies do? And perhaps my favorite, why is one of these fairies wearing the latest French fashion?
1: According to Dr. Merrick Burrow, head of English and creative writing at the University of Huddersfield, despite relenting to, quote, widespread skepticism, Doyle instead gave the girls a camera and asked them to take more photos of the fairies. We will note here, though, that some records suggest Gardner is the one who lent the camera with marked plates to prevent tampering. Either way, Doyle's support for the fairy photos left the girls feeling less excited about their discovery and rather, quote, painted into a corner because of it. Feeling they couldn't say no, they took a second set of images in August of 1920. Doyle went on to write a book about the Cottingley Fairies and the fairy affair. In The Coming of the Fairies, published in 1922, he laid out the story of the photographs, their alleged provenance, and the implications of their existence. He wrote, quote, I have convinced myself that there is overwhelming evidence for the fairies. And he also discussed with Edward Gardner the possibility of a film on the subject. In Burroughs' estimation, though, quote, I do not think he was that interested in fairies per se, but he was enormously invested in the idea that there was more to the world than what we consider normal reality.
2: Dr. Burrow has also stated that Doyle was, for sure, initially suspicious that these photos could be a hoax, and he had fears that he was being set up to debunk his beliefs in spiritualism, and then to prove him, quote, gullible. But according to Burrow, for Doyle, quote, if these photos proved the existence of fairies and that you could photograph the supernatural, then they were a staging post in the argument for spiritualism. And there's truth to that. In his article in The Strand, Doyle wrote that it would, quote, mark an epoch in human thought if these fairies were proven to be real. And he also stated that, quote, after carefully going into every possible source of error, a strong prima facie case has been built up for their authenticity. He continued, quote, the recognition of their existence will jolt the material 20th century mind out of its heavy ruts in the mud and will make it admit that there is a glamour and a mystery to life. Having discovered this, the world will not find it so difficult to accept that spiritual message supported by physical facts, which has already been so convincingly put before it.
1: We are going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. And when we're back, we will talk about the five fairy photos, their descriptions, and what the fuss was all about.
2: Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about those fairy photos. And let's also talk about the cousins' confessions 60 years after they pulled off this hoax. Let's talk about these photos. There were five.
1: In his book, Fairies, the Cottingly Photos and Their Sequel, published in 1945, Edward Gardner described each one in the chronological order the girls took them, along with statements the girls made about them. So here we go. The first photo in the series, known as Francis and the Fairies, was taken in July of 1917 with a midge quarter plate camera belonging to Elsie's father, Arthur. Plate cameras, if you don't know about them, are cameras designed to produce photos on glass or metal plates using plate holders rather than film holders. And all five of the girls' photos were taken with a plate camera. Gardner described this photo as so. The negative was a little overexposed. The waterfall and rocks are about 20 feet distance behind Francis, who is standing in shallow water inside the bank of the Beck. The coloring of the fairies was described by the girls as shades of green, lavender, and mauve, most marked in the wings and fading to almost pure white in limbs and drapery.
2: The second photo in the series, known as Elsie and the Gnome, was taken in September of that year, also using Arthur's Midge quarter plate camera. Gardner described it like this, quote, Elsie was playing with the gnome and beckoning it to come onto her knee. The gnome leapt up just as Francis, who had the camera, snapped the shutter. He is described as wearing black tights, a reddish jersey, and a pointed bright red cap. Elsie said there was no perceptible weight, though when on the bare hand, the feeling is like a little breath. The wings were more moth-like than the fairies and of a soft, neutral tint. Elsie explained that what seemed to be markings on his wings are simply his pipes, which he was swinging in his grotesque little left hand.
1: The third photo, called Francis and the Leaping Fairy, was taken a few years later in August of 1920. This photo was taken with a cameo quarter, a quarter-plate camera with folding bellows. So if you remember, Doyle gave them a camera and asked for more photos. These final three photos are the result of that request. Gardner's description was as follows. The fairy is leaping up from the leaves below and hovering for a moment. It had done so three or four times. Rising a little higher than before, Frances thought it would touch her face and involuntarily tossed her head back. The fairy's light covering appears to be close-fitting. The wings were lavender in color.
2: The fourth photo is known as Fairy Offering a Posy to Elsie, and it was also taken in August of 1920, also with a Cameo Quarter camera. Said Gardner of this photo, The fairy is standing almost still, poised on the bush leaves. The wings were shot with yellow. An interesting point is shown in this photograph. Elsie is not looking directly at the sprite. The reason seems to be that the human eye is disconcerting. If the fairy be actively moving, it does not matter much. But if motionless and aware of being gazed at, then the nature spirit will usually withdraw and apparently vanish. With fairy lovers, the habit of looking at first a little sideways is common.
1: The fifth and final photo in the series is known as fairies and their sunbath. And Like the third and fourth photos was taken in August of 1920 with a Cameo Quarter camera. Of it, Gardner wrote, quote, This photo is especially remarkable as it contains a feature quite unknown to the girls. The sheath, or cocoon, appearing in the middle of the grasses had not been seen by them before, and they had no idea what it was. Fairy observers of Scotland and the New Forest, however, were familiar with it and described it as a magnetic bath woven very quickly by the fairies and used after dull weather, in the autumn especially. The interior seems to be magnetized in some manner that stimulates and pleases.
2: If you look at these photographs today, it's clear just to the naked eye that they are faked. But many come to Doyle's defense and in defense of the general public too, for a few reasons for their belief, with two standouts. Doyle wanted to believe in something magical in this world. He believed that if you treated others with honesty and kindness, they would reciprocate. It is written that this sometimes left him the butt of jokes or left him taken advantage of. But it's also said of him that if he thought you ingenuous or dishonest, as a gentleman, he would never let on. So even if he had come to the conclusion that the girls were faking these fairy sightings he would not have outed their hoax. Note, however, he always did consider them genuine. Doyle died of a heart attack at age
1: 71 in July of 1930. His last words spoken to his wife were, you are wonderful. The debate about the fairy photos continued on for decades, long after his death, until finally someone spoke up about it. It actually wasn't until 1978 when James Randi, a magician and scientific skeptic who frequently challenged paranormal and pseudoscientific claims, pointed out that the fairies seen in the girls' photographs were strikingly similar to those found in the children's book called Princess Mary's Gift Book, which had been published in 1915, shortly before the girls took their very first fairy photo.
2: Elsie and Frances had made a pact that they would never confess how they had taken their photos. And even Arthur Wright, who developed them, had no idea what the secret was. Said Burrow of the photos, quote, there were a series of minor deceptions that in themselves would not really have amounted to anything. Until the involvement of Conan Doyle, probably the world's foremost popular author with an interest in spiritualism. Burrow added, quote, when the girls took the photos, there were a few prints made at the time by the family but that would have been it. Without Doyle, I imagine they would have been lost in a drawer somewhere, just a quirky family story. But of course we know that instead they became famous when Doyle published a feel-good story about fairy life.
1: It wasn't until the early 1980s, when the fairy affair was eventually entirely debunked by Geoffrey Crawley, the editor of the British Journal of Photography, who undertook the investigation and in the end, concluded yes, they were faked. It was also in the early 1980s when the girls themselves confessed the photographs were not real. The whole thing, they explained, was to get back at their parents who had teased them and didn't believe they saw fairies, but that the joke got out of hand when Doyle and Gardner became interested. Out of respect for the famous Doyle, they had agreed they wouldn't reveal the truth until after those involved had passed away.
2: Elsie confessed during an interview for the Unexplained magazine that the fairies were, truthfully, just paper cutouts. She had explained that she sketched the fairies using Princess Mary's gift book as her inspiration and made paper cutouts from those sketches. So, indeed, James Randi was entirely correct. These fairies did turn out to be taken from the pages of Princess Mary's gift book. The girls held these cutouts in place with hat pins during their photo shoots. In fact, if you look closely at the second photo we've talked about, the one of Elsie and the gnome, you can see the tip of a hat pin smack dab in the middle of that alleged creature. Said Elsie of the whole thing, quote, The joke was to last two hours, and it has lasted 70 years.
1: Speaking to the BBC in 1983, Francis stated, quote, I never even thought of it as being a fraud. It was just Elsie and I having a bit of fun. I can't understand to this day why people were taken in. They wanted to be taken in. People often say to me, Don't you feel ashamed that you made all of these poor people look like fools? They believed in you. But I do not because they wanted to believe. Time magazine noticed and reported that Frances often remarked on how none of the experts who talked to her ever asked her what she considered to be. The most important questions, and those are these. One, what were the fairies doing? Two, how did they appear? And three, why could only she see them? Although Frances and Elsie eventually did admit their photos were fake, Frances always maintained that they had really seen fairies in the Beck. In fact, until her death, she maintained that one of the most famous photographs, most reports suggest it's the fifth and final photo, was actually
2: real. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You know what is real? This yummy, bogus bevy. Which, you know, if you drink enough, you might see you fairies. You might see don't, fairies. don't drink that much.
1: <laughs> Does it include absinthe? Oh
2: my <laughs> no, although I did think about it, right? Absinthe closely associated with fairies. Right? But it's
1: the obvious choice. So. <laughs> it's the obvious
2: choice. And I think what I'm doing here is not obvious. And also I have to give a shout out to listener and now my friend Libby, who mentioned to me recently, like, hey, it would be cool if we had a few more tequila recipes. You're getting a very inspired tequila drink today, but it comes with some surprises, which hopefully people will enjoy. I will tell you what drink this looks like at the end, but here is how you're going to start. This is not to pour into your shaking tin yet, but into like a small glass, some receptacle, put two ounces of Reposado tequila, and into that you are going to mix a bar spoon of sweetened matcha powder and just stir it in. There's the first unexpected ingredient. (laughs) There's your surpriser. Right? Surprise. In case you have never gone looking, matcha powder is pretty easy to find in most supermarkets these days. If you, for some reason, can't find it in your supermarket, I found it in mine, no problem. You can order it online and it's super easy to find. And it's very delicious. You can do many things with this. But for this, you only need one bar spoon. So that's like about a teaspoon. This is a measure with your heart situation a little bit, but you're going to give that a good stir and then just let it sit while you prep the rest of the drink. And we'll stir it again to make sure it's well incorporated at the end before we add it. Into your shaking tin with just a bunch of ice, you're going to put three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, one quarter of an ounce of agave syrup, And then three quarters of an ounce of a vanilla liqueur, like liqueur 43 or Galliano makes a vanilla liqueur as well. And then you are going to shake, shake this once you add that tequila in, because like I said, just stir it before you add it in. You just want to make sure all the powders dissolve. Put it all together, shake, shake. You want it so cold. Strain it over ice into a Collins glass and top it with just like a little bit, like an ounce of lemon lime soda. This looks like a Midori Sour, but it tastes completely different. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that any of the flavors overlap there at all. Not <laughs> much at all. You have a little, a little citrus in there that's friends with the Midori Sour. And that's about it. But it is a very interesting flavor because of the matcha powder, which is, of course, a green tea powder. But the other components make it not really taste very green tea mm-hmm. It tastes like something very different. This is one I will say. I'm not joking when I say shake it until it is ice cold. I initially didn't have it quite cold enough Mm -hmm. and it didn't taste as yummy. And then with a little, I was like, oh, let me toss it back in the tin and I'll reshake it. And then it was suddenly like, oh, this is delicious. It just needs to be very cold. So delicious. I'm calling this the Beck Fairy. This is one that is very easy to make as a mocktail. You're going to make a couple of tweaks. So in lieu of tequila, you're literally just going to make your two ounces of matcha using the matcha powder as directed on your thing. So you have essentially like matcha water. And then keep the lemon juice. You're going to do just a vanilla syrup in lieu of, of a vanilla liqueur. And because you're pretty sweet at this point, you can skip that agave syrup. You don't really need it. And then make it the same way into the Collins glass with ice, top it with a little lemon-lime soda, off to the races. Off to the Glen to look at some fairies. Gnomes, fairies and gnomes. The whole gnome with wings thing really threw me here, but different kind of gnomes than I was accustomed to. I've
1: never seen a gnome personally, so I don't know about their
2: wing situation. That you know of. Right, that I know of. That I know of. Maybe you're just not perceiving the world around (laughs) (laughs) I need to go read some Doyle. (laughs) Yeah, don't listen. If you have enough Beck fairies, you'll see gnomes. Always drink responsibly, please. I'm not encouraging people to get Blotto. But I do hope if you make this that you really like it. It's an unusual and fun drink. It has that note of tartness to it, but it's also smoothed out by the the vanilla liqueur. And it's, it's just an interesting drink. I really like it. We are so thankful that you have spent this time with us listening to this story of fairies and hoaxery even though may not have been intended to become one of those but we intend to always have fun so we hope you did and we will be right back here next week with more fun